Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Amen and good morning. If you're brand new, never been here before, we just want to give you an especially warm welcome. If you're familiar with church or not familiar with church, either way, just really glad you're here. Hope you feel welcomed and grateful that you're, you've come this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 15. As you do that, I just want to share a couple more things. These are my favorite Sundays in the year, baptism and ministry partnership Sundays, because they are Sundays filled with testimony. Testimony is a great Christianese word. It's a great word, but what we mean by it is our stories where Jesus is the hero. The stories that we tell of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we get to hear on these Sundays story after story after story of Jesus really changes everything. And I just love to hear the ways that God is working among us. If you've um, been intrigued by the idea of baptism or ministry partnership and maybe want to explore that more, or you're like, yes, you know what, it's time for me to take these steps of faith as well. We're holding our next baptism and ministry partnership class on Monday, I believe it is Monday, May 15th. It's a Monday evening um, for a few hours and just encourage you to come if you're exploring it. If you're exploring the idea of believer's baptism, exploring ministry partnership, you're not entirely convinced about either. Well, we'll engage those things that night. You're welcome to participate. If you're thoroughly convinced and you're ready, you're also welcome to come. So start by filling out a baptism and ministry partnership form um, if you are ready and we'll go from there. This is also sort of the launch of our um, Above and Beyond campaign. And so I just want to make you aware of that. We um, are doing something insane as a church, utterly insane. We are um, believing that God wants to use us to plant two new campuses um, this year um, in the eastern Fraser Valley, one in Promontory and one in a little place called Lake Iraq between Agassiz and Mission. Um, We believe God's called us in our individual lives to be a witness for him. He's called us as a church to be a witness of him in the renewal that he longs to do in the Eastern Fraser Valley. And so this above and beyond campaign is really inviting you to do three things, um, to, to pray, serve, and give. It's kind of like eat, pray, love, but less Julia Roberts. Like it's just pray, serve, give. We just really, really know that this is going to require something from everybody. It's called an above and beyond campaign because we're asking the question, well, we don't want to just redirect giving because we have to, we have a budget as well, but we want, we really see the Lord leading us this way. And that was overwhelming um, when we had our congregational meeting about that. We're asking, what could you maybe go without in your life? I'm starting to think about these things and it's making me anxious. What are the things that I could maybe do away with so that I can give more to what God is doing. What are some things like, can I watch less Netflix and serve more with what God is doing and wants to do in the Easter Fraser Valley? Can I direct some of my prayer life or give more to my prayer life to say, Lord, would you bring revival? Would you bring renewal? Would you bring hearts that are hardened that don't know you? Would you soften them and lead people to yourself? We're asking you to engage in all of these ways in above and beyond ways. So would you consider doing that? There's more details about it in the bulletin this morning. John's gospel, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have been working our way through this for years, and we're well on our way with plenty to go. 
As you turn to the latter part of John chapter 15, I want to tell you a couple stories. We're going to talk about hatred and a helper this morning. Hatred and a helper. Um, a bit of persecution um, has happened. A lot of persecution has happened over the years. Um, would you have guessed that the inventor of the umbrella experienced persecution? Today, umbrellas are everywhere, especially in our rainy climate. But when Jonas Hanway first tried to introduce the umbrella into England, this is pre-Mary Poppins. When Jonas Hanway first tried to introduce the umbrella into England and walk down the street beneath one, he was pelted with dirt and stones. He was actually persecuted for holding an umbrella. He's not the only one. Aristides of Athens. Aristides lived during Athens' golden era and was an outstanding man, and he was called Aristides the Just. Yet he was banished from Athens. Why? Well, when one of the citizens was asked why he had voted for Aristides' banishment, he answered, because I am tired of hearing him always called the Just. He experienced persecution for it. Earlier over the Easter season, Christian church was bombed as they went to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that persecution has happened and hatred happens in the world. Well, that's where we settle in in our text this morning. It's not a pleasant text, but it is a realistic text. John fifteen eighteen says this, if the world hates you, Jesus is saying to his followers, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, which they did, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. That's God the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. You cannot disconnect the two. Hatred of Jesus equates to hatred of God. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my father, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law, their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Let's take a look at this for a few minutes. Starts by saying, if the world hates you, know that the world has hated me before. The term for the world here in the original language is cosmos. It's less about the planet Earth and more about the world system, world order. It refers to human society organizing itself without God. If the world hates you, if the cosmos, the world order, world system in place that's organized against and opposed to God, if it hates you, know that it's hated me. So the first thing that this text is clearly telling us is disciples of Jesus will be hated because they're identified with Jesus. The text says that those who are Christ are not of this world but are chosen out of the world. So what happens is you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He's taken you out of the world in a sense. You're not of the world anymore. Disciples of Jesus have a changed affections, changed loyalties. At least they should. 
And those differ with the world. This human society organizing itself against God. The church are a people organized under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so they begin to look different than the world organizing itself without God. And so the text tells us the world hates Christ's followers. The world hates Jesus' followers because it hates Jesus. It hates Jesus. And Christians experience that because as his disciples, they are identified with him. Now, I need to make a little caveat here and just explain a little bit about this hatred of Christians. I like to read the Babylon Bee. It's a satirical news website. It's fake, fake Christian. It's actual fake news. It's, uh, it's comedic news. Uh, and so it, it, it says some things and, and just pokes fun a little bit at, at, at Christian culture, really, and it does it broadly. And recently I read a post that is simply hilarious to me. The headline reads, man unsure if he's persecuted because he's a Christian or because he's a massive jerk. <laughs> and so I just want to differentiate here. You know, I'm hated for righteousness. No, you're hated because you're really, really rude, really, really mean. We have to differentiate these two things. I'm going to read a quick little segment of this article. Please don't find it offensive. If you do, you can write Gary at central365.org. <laughs> says in this, this satirical article about man unsure if he's persecuted because he's a Christian or because he's a massive jerk, it reads in one part, I did call Aunt Stacy a libtard <laughs> and suggest that she should go kill herself. That's terrible. So I suppose I'd lean toward the fact that I'm a massive tool. But it could also be the cross overlay on my profile picture. Richard wondered aloud, I'm stumped. It's a total toss-up in my opinion. Is it because of all these super harsh, rude, terrible things I've said, or is it because of the cross overlay on my profile picture online? See, the tribulation experienced by the church that's true tribulation it, because of suffering for Christ's sake, because of surrendering a life to his will, his ways, beginning to live like Christ, have the affections of Jesus in us, working through us. The world may disdain that, but the tribulation experienced by the church arises from faithfulness to truth in a world dominated by a lie. It's, it's the glimmer of the truth in the, the way of Jesus, the servant-hearted, sacrificial, but truthful nonetheless, stating not the harsh, rude, angry rants, superiority, bigotry, right? Proud arrogance of knowing. It's not those things. That's just you. That's just being a jerk. It's the way of Jesus, sacrificially, humbly, but proclaiming this truth that you believe nonetheless and recognizing that it will hurt. It will cost. But you may be asking the question at this point, does the world really hate Jesus? It seems like the world kind of likes Jesus. I'd argue that the world likes its concepts of Jesus. The world likes Jesus as Jesus was a good guy or Jesus was a good moral teacher or Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus is my boyfriend or genie Jesus who gives us what we want, moldable pillow Jesus who becomes the Jesus of our own imaginations, buddy Jesus, my bro, Grammy Awards Jesus. I'd like to thank Jesus first and foremost for helping me write this super promiscuous song, right? Grammy Award Jesus or therapist Jesus. He just makes me feel good about me and wants me to be me. But not the way, the truth, and the life Jesus. The Jesus who says no one comes to God. No one comes to the Father but by me. The world hates that. Jesus. In other words, the world hates Jesus. 
says, if they kept my word in our text this morning, they will also keep yours. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. The world hates Jesus because of his words. Simply put, the words of Jesus reveal our true selves, and we don't like the revelation. The ESV Gospel Transformation Bible puts it this way, grace is disruptive before it's redemptive. It disrupts our lives, the the kingdoms we are building. The gospel sabotages all forms of self-salvation. Our need is so great that it took the death of the Son of God to save people like us. The good news is that Jesus went willingly and gladly to the cross for us. Grace and the gospel is disruptive in the world before it's redemptive. And that often costs and it often projects hate. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my works. See, the world hates Jesus because of his words. The world also hates Jesus because of his works. It hates him because he was doing the works of God and the works of God, like the words of God, reveal our spiritual bankruptcy and we don't like to feel that way. See, before we had Christ's works for comparison, our works looked pretty good. But next to his works, even our best look rotten. And so Jesus, when he's held up as a mirror before us, shows us how in need, how desperate, how broken we are. He reveals our need. And many of us don't like that. All of us don't like that. Some of us eventually will turn and surrender our lives to Jesus, but others will reject him. And Jesus is assuring us that where there are are those who reject Jesus, we will experience rejection too. Super encouraging, hey? If I can wear my prophetic hat for just a moment, I I would like to perhaps argue that maybe we're not hated as much as we should be. Maybe the conformity to the world we so desire, so we're liked, so we're loved, we're so careful. You might say, I'm not experiencing hate from the world. Again, I'm telling you not to be a massive tool in the words of the Babylon Bee, I'm telling you to follow deeply the ways of Jesus and sincerely following that through. It will cost. It will hurt. You will feel, experience rejection. But I would, on the other hand, like to give you a couple of encouragements as well. Here's the first. Even as we identify with Jesus, Jesus identifies with us. I want you to hear that. Jesus is saying, the world hated me first, and it will therefore hate you. And you're like, man, that sounds awful. But here's the reverse. As we identify with Jesus and experience some rejection, Jesus is identifying with us. As Saul, in Acts chapter 9, was persecuting Christians in Damascus, Jesus confronts Saul in a vision. And you know what he says? He says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's persecuting Christians in Damascus. Jesus has already ascended to be with the Father. He's in heaven. And Jesus' words are, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies, so just experiences 
us closely. We have a Savior who identifies that closely and that intimately with us. That's an encouragement for you. Here's another. The favor of the world, experiencing the favor of the world, not the rejection of the world, but the favor of the world is not worth comparing with the favor of Jesus towards his disciples. Are you experiencing some loss? Are you experiencing some grief? Are you being made fun of somewhere for your faith? That's about as much as the persecution we get in Canada really is. Listen, the favor of Jesus is so much greater than the favor that the world could offer you. Paul said it in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or Philippians 3, 18. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amazing truths. Look, we, we found earlier in this text that Jesus calls us and he commissions us. We saw that earlier in John's gospel. But a question we might have about the cosmos, the cosmos, the world organized without God, a question that comes to mind is how can we possibly break through to the cosmos? The world organized against God. How can we possibly? Well, the answer is we cannot. We can't. But the Holy Spirit can. This is encouragement. Look at verse 26 with me. But when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit will do that, Jesus is saying, when he sends the Holy Spirit, which he has. So that means that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here's the first thing I want to say that, about this, and it is the first and foremost, the weighted statement first. The Spirit's witness. Let's look first and foremost at the Spirit's witness. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. Very exciting stuff. And I will confess to you that I am a charismatic in a Mennonite's body. Right? It's very, there's a lot of tensions there. I'm a charismatic. A char- charismatic with seatbelts, yes, but a charismatic... Nonetheless, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I also believe what those things are all for and what the Holy Spirit is ultimately about. To give us all the feels. I'm trying to keep up with the lingo of the day. All the feels. It's like just ah, so warm, like holding kittens and like all the feels. Is that what the Holy Spirit is for? Give us all the feels. The Holy Spirit sent by Jesus, the preoccupation of the Holy Spirit, you know what it is? To point to Jesus. What the Holy Spirit is all about is to point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a preoccupation. He's preoccupied with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, this text tells us, bears witness about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is bearing witness in this world among people. You know the Holy Spirit is bearing witness. And what's he bearing witness to? He's bearing witness to Jesus. Look, I want you to note the order of things here. It says, when the helper comes, verse 26, he will bear witness about me. And then verse 27 follows, and you also, it's kind of like, and oh yeah, you also will bear witness about me. 
Listen to what Les- Leslie Newbegin wrote, what he wrote. Great missionary wrote on the Gospel of John. Look at what Le- Leslie Newbegin wrote about these two verses. It is important to note what is not said. It is not said that the Spirit will help the disciple to bear witness. That would make the action of the disciples primary and that of the Spirit auxiliary. What is said is that the Spirit will bear witness and that secondarily, the disciples are witnesses. James Boyce, pastor, commentary writer, put it this way. It is the combination of these two testimonies, however strange it may seem, that God uses to exalt Christ and draw men and women to him. And yet, lest we get too carried away in thinking about being co-workers with God, we need to note that the Lord mentions the Spirit's witness first, and only after this does he mention our own. Our witness is necessary, but listen to this, this is the best part. Our witness is necessary, but it's powerless without the presence and supernatural activity of God's own spirit. Only he can illuminate the unregenerate mind, the the person who doesn't believe. Only he can illuminate the unregenerate mind and move the rebellious will of man to embrace our Savior. And the promise here is that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is bearing witness. So what that means is as you want to share Jesus with someone in your life, we need to reverse our thinking and not think, I hope the Holy Spirit shows up when I talk to this person about Jesus. I'm going to share my faith and I hope the Holy Spirit does something maybe. The reverse thinking, the accurate vision of this text is, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit is working. And maybe as you come along with a burden and a heart and a desire to share Jesus, as the Holy Spirit is already doing his work, maybe the work that only he can do is going to transpire today as you share a bit about Jesus. Look, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did our, our last baptism and ministry partnership class, and a couple of the women who uh, are being baptized today were sharing, and one of them said to me, the first time I came to church, you were preaching. It was as if you were just preaching to me. And across the table, another woman said, well, I can't be because it was, he was preaching to me. <laughs> and I said, you're both wrong. I was preaching to myself, like any good preacher. No. But how is that 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 can happen? I hear that co- comment a lot. That was exact. Thank you, pastor. That was exactly what I needed. I'm like, well, I have no idea exactly what you needed. But I know that the word of God speaks. And I know the Holy Spirit is at work. And so th- what can happen on a Sunday morning is... The Holy Spirit has been working in your heart. I'm just sharing a little from the Bible. And we go, that's exactly what I needed to hear. How is that? It's because the Holy Spirit's always at work. And once in a while, we show up and go, hey, let's talk about Jesus. This should be a huge relief because the Holy Spirit is, trust this, is accurately actively witnessing. This should also give you confidence knowing that the Holy Spirit is always working should give you relief. It's not all on you. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus. He's preoccupied with Jesus. He's making Jesus known. It should give you relief. It's not all on you. And it should also give you confidence that if the Holy Spirit is doing that, you're looking for the opportunities that may come. Leslie Newbegin, again, said the words, the works, and above all, the sufferings of the community will be the means by which the witness is born, but the actual agent will be the Spirit who, because he is the Spirit of the Father, is the Spirit of, the, of truth. Our words, our works, our sufferings, they preach. 
We are participants by God's grace, but secondarily to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Earlier this week, Pastor Eldon got a call from a friend in Abbotsford who wanted to connect him with someone who had just moved to Chilliwack recently and wanted to visit with a pastor. And so Eldon met with him um, earlier this week here at the church uh, early one morning, and they were talking, and Eldon was hearing his story, and they opened the scriptures together and read a little bit, and they prayed together, and the, ma- the man received Jesus Christ, prayed, surrendered his life to the Lord, and Eldon came into my office at like nine in the morning. He's like, hey, I got to pray with a, a guy who gave his life to the Lord this morning. I was like, it's like nine o'clock. I've just had like three cups of coffee. That's all I've done today. You've led someone to the Lord already? Man. <laughs> I mean, praise God. Praise God. <laughs> And he might be here this morning. I think he's coming this morning. It's because the Holy Spirit had long ago already been ministering, working on this man's heart. And by God's grace, for some providential choice that I don't understand, Pastor Eldon got to pray with him. And we celebrate that. God is at work. Hey, this morning, as we conclude, we're going to take communion in a few moments. But just, I want us to maybe respond in a couple of different ways. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We believe as Christians that there's one God. This is where our minds start to hurt. But in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. We've been talking a lot about Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. And perhaps you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never really given him your life. We even heard in the testimonies, I was, a, I was in church. I responded at an altar call tons of years ago, but my life was never Christ. My life never changed. I never turned to him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You know what that looks like? It looks like this burning in your heart. The Holy Spirit is, ah, oh, he loves you. The Holy Spirit is pressing on your heart in such a way that's like preoccupied with Jesus and wants nothing for you more than for you to know the Savior of the universe who knows your sin but died for your sin and invites you to himself. We've heard story after story about that this morning. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning, you feel this, this is so crazy. I've been opposed to God. I hate the church. I'm not convinced about Jesus. And yet this morning you are being drawn to him. I just encourage you to surrender your life to him. That just means praying a prayer in your heart that says, Lord, forgive me for my sin." I want to turn to you. I want my life to be yours. Just pray that. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate that with you. I encourage you to respond. For the rest of us, those of you who have followed Jesus for a while, I invite you this morning to invite the Holy Spirit to grow in you afresh the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit by the work of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He just All Christians grow in this by the Holy Spirit, not just a couple. All Christians grow in all the fruit. Just say, Lord, would you grow that in me? I want to be yours. I want to be used by you. Grow the gifts of the Spirit in you. Lord, I feel like a bit of an evangelist. Would you just fan that flame? Lord, you're giving me this gift. I, I know you have. Lord, would you just grow that in me? We're to desire the gifts that the Spirit gives for the furthering of his kingdom, the building of his church invite you to press into that for the same great purpose that the Holy Spirit was sent to point to Jesus. 
I just want to remind you again, this stems from earlier passage in John 15. As you abide in Jesus, live in the presence of Jesus, cling to Jesus, remain in Jesus, and he will do this work among us. Okay, I'm going to invite our worship band to come on forward. I'm going to invite um, our communion servers to come on forward. Um, and as they come, they'll be in stations in different places in the room. We've invited our grade four to sixes to stay in the service. You guys have done awesome. Thanks for sticking around and watching baptisms this morning. Now you get to observe communion. Just want to speak to parents of young children in the room this morning. We kind of recommend to parents, although totally at your discretion, that maybe we just wait for your children to take communion until around the age of 12 for a few reasons. We, we encourage that for baptism as well, maybe age 12 and up. And just as, but if, if that's something for you as parents to, to chat about with your kids, one of the reasons we have, you in the, have kids in the service is to observe communion, observe baptism, talk about it as a family. These are things that we want to do as we recognize that the gospel is understood in a heart and that um, we can recognize that there's evidence of faith and so just want to just say that by way of encouragement uh, to your discretion, parents, there, if, if you're kind of, this is sprung on you and it seems like it might be a neat snack for a nine-year-old. It's not really the point. And so just wanted you to engage that there. This is an open invitation for everyone who says, yeah, I follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord, rescuer and redeemer. Then we invite you over the course of a, a song or two to come and receive we also have a prayer team that'll be in different places in the room. I'm available as well. We just love to pray with you. You're up anyways. Just, you can move to a different part of the, the room and receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning. So let me close in prayer and then we will respond in all of these ways. Lord Jesus, we love you. Not out of any great merit of our own, but because you first loved us. Loved us further than anyone could. You died for us. And in your death, you paid the penalty for our sins. And we are called simply to believe that and respond in faith, respond in gratitude. And so, Lord, we do that this morning. Thank you for your body given on the cross. Thank you for your blood shed on the cross. And we partake of these things now, or we observe them and explore this more. But, Lord, as those of us who come and receive and partake, Lord, we're doing it recognizing all you accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you for your grace. And God, we praise you that your Holy Spirit is at work, that you sent him to reveal you. Thank you that we get to come alongside of that and be servants of yours to help people encounter Jesus. What a joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.